Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men. I thought you might like to listen to this even if you weren't at the actual event. So I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, sponsored by Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are. And so I want to start off by saying, you know, my wife, uh, I, I talk about my wife all the time. She is a flight attendant. And I had a situation about a year ago where she was uh, doing the demonstration. I'm just so proud of her. I mean, it's just the coolest job. And, I, and she's doing her demo and I've got my phone out and I'm videotaping the demo, my wife doing the demo. And apparently that's an FAA regulation violation. Because I had another flight attendant go, you can't do that, sir. And I go, well, that's my wife. Oh, oh, that's she. Okay. But, you know, it's really funny. I can have this thing memorized. Like, what do they do? They always tell you if something happens, you will have a mask. And they lean over. The mask will drop down. And if you have a loved one with you, make sure you put the mask on yourself before you help the children. I thought that's really interesting. You've got a little child, but they want you to put the mask on yourself first. And when we were looking at this series, this series is called The Protector, A Tribe to Defend. And for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about who should we as protectors defend. I thought, man, when I look around this room, I know a lot of you and you know me, a lot of the people in our lives that have been hurt, that we love, have been hurt by the man that we shaved with, right? And so I thought if we're going to do a series called The Protector, we have to start with the man in the mirror, that's, and so that's what we're doing for the, tonight. We're dealing with this guy, the man in the mirror. And you know, it's really interesting. So do you all have mirrors? You should all have a mirror. You should all have a mirror. So feel free to, you know, it's really, <laughs> the mirrors are really interesting. But when I look at the guys in this room, and I look at the guys I've worked with for 33 years of ministry, there are three types of Christian guys I've, I've worked with. 
And, I, and I, tonight I want you to take a deep dive into your own soul and in the quietness and the depth of your heart, I want you to answer this question. Which one of these Christian guys am I? Christian guys. The first one is the guy, I call him the fader. He's a guy who's on the fade. He's slowly drifting downstream with all of the other dead things that are dying and can't fight the upstream battle. He's a fader. The second guy is what I call the fighter. He is all in for Jesus, the best of his ability. I'm calling him a fighter because he's going upstream. He's battling sin. He's battling his own personal demons. He's battling his own struggles because to be all in for Jesus doesn't mean you don't struggle and have sin. I just ate a chocolate donut with great joy and glee knowing what it was going to do to me, right? So we struggle. He's a fighter. Many of you are fighters. You're like, man, my life is maybe not what I want it to be right now, but man, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm fighting in the space from where I'm living. I'm fighting. And the, the third guy is the most troubling to me. I call this guy the fence sitter. So you have the fader, the fighter, and the fence sitter. And he's on the fence spiritually. I call this guy, his life is, the demarcation of his life is really functional atheism. Like he's a Christian, he says he's a Christian, but nothing about his life says he's a Christian. You know, the church, the divorce rates are the same in and out of the church. The porn rate's the same in and out of the church. The cohabitation rates with single, single men is the same as out of the church. These, this functional atheism thing. And so as I look at this, I want, to, I want us to think about this. Which one am I? And what, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a dude. Mirrors make me uncomfortable. Like, I don't look in the mirror a lot. But, you know, my wife, I asked her this. I'm doing this honey, I'm doing this sermon, and I want to talk to you about the mirror. So when girls hit, I'm going to call it 14. 14. They, they start to develop. They start to become women. At 14, it may be earlier. It probably is early. I'm not a woman. I don't know. But they start this obsession with the mirror. In a week, my wife is going to be 54. So for 40, what is that, 40 years? 40 years? For 40 years, since she was 14 years old, I have said, honey, an hour a day? What do you think? Get ready for work. Take your makeup off at night. She goes, an hour a day, it depends on if I'm washing my hair that day or not, but an hour a day. That means, and I don't know how your women are, but my woman has spent two years of her life, over two years of her life, just looking in a mirror. So women are very used to looking in a mirror, and when they look in a the mirror, they, they see all the negative things about themselves, right? Which is why they're in the mirror, right, in the first place. But for us guys, we don't really look in the mirror the way they do. And honestly, I'm not asking you to put on makeup and lipstick and all that, but I am saying that we need to take a look at that guy in the mirror. We, we can't be afraid to look at that guy. So tonight, I want you to look, in fact, look at that guy right now. Just look, look at him. And just look at his eyes. Look at, just, it's awkward for us, isn't it? Huh? It's awkward. Do it. Do it. It's awkward for us. We don't, but here's the deal, guys. What are you, Jeremy's like, I'm out of here. I can't do it, man. So, so what, what, when you see the guy in the mirror, who do you see? Everybody, have, the mirrors are yours. Take them home. They're our gift to you guys. Who do you see? I, I want us, my heart's desire is in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of personal sin, in the midst of these things, that, that we have a group of men here that are all in for Jesus. Because if we have 50, 60, 80 guys that are all in for Jesus, we can change this county. I really believe that. But here's what all in is to me. And if Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, verse 4, we hear this. Here, this is called the Shema. 
The Shema is what they called this. And the Hebrew for Shema is, listen up. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. The Hebrew people, ancient Hebrews, did not separate those. So that would be the same as saying, love the Lord your God with everything you have. That's how they would have read that. They wouldn't have separated them. Matthew says this, Jesus said, Matthew, and you shall, the greatest commandment is, and you shall, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. I believe that's the synonym to might that we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then in Mark, Mark is a, Peter gave these words to Mark, Mark wrote them down. So Peter says through Mark in Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered again the same commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your... Now watch this. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we, he throws another component in there, mind. So strength, you know, he, instead of might, he has strength, and mind is a new thing. So there's four things there. So I want to say this to you. This is a kind of a theological thing I want to just kind of share with you. So I believe that the Bible, the Bible teaches in Genesis 1-6, God said, let us make man in our image, right? So I believe that there's this triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three eternal persons in one eternal God, right? It's like an egg, shell, yolk, whatever, and uh, egg white. I believe as humans made in the image of God, we have three distinct parts of us that make us living trinities. I have a body that you see, like my body, my, my physical body, right? You see me, you recognize me. Hey, Josh, we had coffee this morning. Hey, how's it going? He recognized my face. He recognized my stature. I have a spirit. I have a personality that makes me distinct from anybody else, right? It's distinct from all other people. I, have a, I know when I talk to Wade, I know exactly how it's going to go, how I talk to Mike, how I talk to uh, Brian, how I talk to Buzz, how to interact with Kirk, because Kirk's personalities, I know how to... Phil, I know how to interact with these guys because they're friends and I know their personalities. But I also have a third component. I have a soul, which makes me different than all other creatures on this planet. There is no other creature that God created with a soul. God has given humans a soul. It's our ability to choose our temporal and our eternal destinies beyond survival. Do you know this? Your cat can't do it. Nothing can do it. Only, I, I stumbled over a cat. I'm like, if you own a cat. No, I'm just kidding. But when we look at this, when we look at this concept of with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we've got a dichotomy going on here because the Hebrews viewed all those as one thing, right? When we look at the Trinity, we see three distinct things in one creature. But when Paul, and we're going to look into Philippians chapter 4 tonight, verse 7, when Paul is talking to the Philippians, they were a culture in Macedonia, which is northern Greece. They were Greeks. Greeks were different than Hebrews. Greeks separated the body, the parts. So he distinctly separates in this verse, uh, he, uh, Philippians 4, 7, into two distinct body parts, your heart and your mind. Right, And so I'm gonna, I am going to distinguish between those because that's what Paul did because he's talking to Greeks and not Jewish people. Does that make sense? I want to unpack that before we go on. It's really important that you know that. So that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. I want to talk to you about protecting your heart and your mind so that when you look in the mirror at that guy you shave with, you have total peace. And I think the problem with us as men 
is we truly are not at peace with our heart or our mind because we have not made the proper investment or we have not put up the proper firewalls to guard our heart and our mind. So let me pray, and we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Father, I'm so excited about being with these men and uh, being here tonight. There's so much to talk about. God, when a man gets it, everyone wins. But God, when a man doesn't, everything around him is caught in the wake of his disastrous choices. And so, God, I pray that you would pull us together, help us take a long look at the man in the mirror, and be really honest with that guy. Help us to become the man that you see when you look in the mirror. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Now, some of you who attend my church are going to go, this sounds familiar, and it is familiar. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to stop there, and I want to say this. I don't know, if, so I, I, I run an organization called Men in the Arena. So we have the number one podcast on Spotify for Christian men in the world, our little McMinnville. So it's a, you should go subscribe to that. I think it'll really, really help you. But when you go subscribe to that, there's a podcast on there, and it's, it deals with anxiety. I, I keep talking to young people that haven't, they have this disease called anxiety. Well, the problem is Jesus never healed anybody with anxiety. He never medicated anyone with anxiety. And so I do a sermon on how to overcome anxiety. And so that sermon is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And you can find that full sermon on my podcast. It's a sermon I gave at my church. So I want to encourage you to get the full scope of what we're dealing with here to do that. In that, in that sermon, I unpacked four things from those two verses that will really help a person struggling with anxiety. Because I struggle with anxiety at times. The first one is celebrate what God, who God is. The A is ask God to help you with your thing, the thing that's stressing you out. L is to lean hard into Jesus. Biblically, that's down and forward. Lean into him. And then M is to meditate on all the good things he's brought in your life. Tonight, I'm taking the third point, lean. Leaning into Jesus. I'm going to unpack in detail what that means. So that sermon that's on, the, on our website is not the same as this at all. It's completely different. I'm only focusing on one thing. I'm not focusing on anxiety at all tonight. Tonight's focus is the man in the mirror. So let's look. Speaking of that, let's look at verse 7. So verse 7 is really cool because he starts verse 7 with the end. His end game is the first thing he talks about in verse 7. So we're going we're gonna to unpack the end game, and then we're going to explain what I think that means. So in Philippians 4, verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. So guys, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to ask you four questions. It's a four-question survey. Yes, this is a test. It is not pass or fail. It's just for your own. I want you to answer these four questions tonight that will help you determine whether you're a fader, a fence sitter, or if you're a fighter, right? So here's question one. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Are, this, is really, this is probably the most important question tonight. Are you at peace with your relationship of, with God and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will never walk away from him. And that biblical obedience is the best way to live. And no one can ever convince you otherwise. I, I mean, I can look you right in the eye and tell you, when I walk into a room, I'm the last person that will ever walk away from Jesus. 
When I walk in a room, I'm fishing. I'm fishing every time. I'm on the offensive every time. I will never, I'm, I'm not saying I'll never sin. I, sin. I sin all the time. But I will never, I'm convinced that what I believe is true, biblical obedience is the best way, and I will never walk away from serving Jesus ever in my whole life. I'm, I'm convinced of that. So I have great peace. I have peace knowing that I'm always going to be surrounded by a world that opposes me. It invigorates me. We live in a target-rich environment, right? But a lot of guys aren't at peace with that. They're afraid of that. I can't speak up. What, what do they think of me? And my thing is they're going to hell. They need Jesus. We need to speak Jesus. We need to fish, fish, fish. Before a man looks in the mirror, he must first look to the mirror maker. So the problem with tonight's sermon is I've said look at the man in the mirror, but you got to look at the mirror maker first. He's the one you got to look at first. If you're not at peace with the mirror maker, the rest doesn't matter. I just broke this on accident. I was trying to close it and I broke it. Gosh, that's so typical. Okay. So Jeremiah 1.5, I love it. Jesus, or God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. How cool is that? Psalm 139 says, You formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You skillfully wrought me in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book, all of the days of my life were written before one of them came to be. That's your mirror maker. He, he knows you. He knew you before you were conceived. So awesome. The peace of God I have found for me is the result of being all in for Jesus. Totally surrendered, all in. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of your struggles, I mean, last week we had our group over here and we're all struggling with stuff. In the midst of all of that, there's a peace of knowing I have stepped off the fence and into deep waters. And I put my life in the hands of the mirror maker. So we talked about, we had a walk-up song tonight, 1988, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's lyric, here it is. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways, and no message could have been any clearer. If they want to make a world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. See, the problem with that song is Michael is starting with Michael and not the mirror maker. Michael, through the course of his career, started dyeing his skin white, changed his, deformed his face because he didn't like the look of his face, had extremely questionable interactions with children and died of an overdose in 2009 when he was only 50 years old. And here's a man that God gave tremendous gifts to. I bought his albums, man. I mean, I, I, I liked Beta. I mean, I loved his stuff. But he was a lost soul because he looked to the mirror and not the mirror maker. So, guys, it all starts there tonight. It all starts with your relationship to the mirror maker. Have you surrendered your life to him. And that, that has got to be the starting point of your life to just go, God, I'm going to trust you even though I have no idea what this means. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to pontificate. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to trust the mirror maker with, the, with my life. <clears throat> so having peace with God and having the convictions 
that I know I'm all in, I'm never going to waver, brings great peace to me and it protects my faith because our propensity, guys, is to unwind. Did you know that? The propensity of you and me, our bodies unwind, our faith unwinds, everything unwinds. We, so we have to, knowing that our faith unwinds, we have to move to what he has to say in verse uh, 7. He says this, <clears throat> the peace of God, the peace of God will guard your hearts. So here's question two tonight, guys. What temperature is your heart for Jesus? Uh, maybe a better way of saying this is, are you as passionate about Jesus as you have been in the past? Like, is your passion increasing, stabilizing, or is it diminishing? You have to honestly ask that question. You know, and I, and I shared with, in ancient times when we talked about your heart, the heart, according to Jewish tradition, was it's the seat of your emotions, your desires, it's your essence, it's your core. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus said, Be on guard so that your hearts may not be weighted down. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And last year we did a meeting. It might have been the most impactful meeting of the year last year. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. So when I was nine years old, tried out for Little League. Two days later, I had a knock on the door. I opened the door, it's Coach Whiteford, the worst team in San Luis Obispo County, and he's the coach. Congratulations, Jim, you are the first guy picked in the entire draft, which meant I went to the crappy team. And he handed me a paper bag. I'm nine years old. I'm like, is there licorice in there? Is there Snickers? Is there baseball cards? He goes, don't open that till your dad gets home. Your dad will know what to do next. So I'm like staring at this paper bag. I mean, it's killing me. I'm nine. Stare, stare. Dad comes home. Dad, dad. Coach Whiteford came by. And I'm on the Mets. Well, that sucks. But we actually won three city championships after. He, so it turned out good for us. But hey, dad, 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 what's in it? He pulls it out. He pulls out this um, thing like shaped like this with holes in it. He said, son, you're a catcher. It was a cup. It was a cup. Man, I wore that cup for 10 years religiously. And when I got in that catcher's position, I had that chest protector on because when you're a catcher, all that matters is protecting your core. So I know what it's like. And I took a shot one time and there's a lot of blood in my white, jean, my white pants. It was not pretty when your core is unprotected. We have to protect our core, guys. And so how do I personally guard my core? How do I personally guard my life? I felt like, I'm going to tell you how I personally do it. Personally, I study who the Bible tells me I am and how to pursue Jesus, and I do that every day of the week. And I have, it has nothing to do with our sermons. This stuff here happens at work time. I spend time in the morning as a Christian, not as a, not as a guy up here. I do it for me. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with my job. I do it because I love the Lord. Number two, I have resolved to the fact that I will always have a target-rich environment. I'm surrounded by lost and broken people who don't not believe as I do. And I'm excited about that. I'm not afraid of that. I invite people to argue and discuss and debate with me about my faith. Because what I believe is true and what they believe is not. So that invigorates me. I embrace that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not afraid of that. And I think that's a big component. There's, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I believe that part of the Bible. 
Number three is I surround myself with fellow believers who fan the flame of my heart. And when I'm around dudes that are Christian guys that don't do that, guess what? I go find guys that will. I just want to be, I got Isaac and Nicole come over for dinner Saturday night. I know there's going to be some fanning going on. Hang out with Josh and Chris Robinson every Wednesday. I know there's some fanning going on. I want to be around dudes that are going to fan the talk. Every time I talk to Ed, there's fanning going on. So that's important for me to get around guys that keep the flame going because the propensity of my faith is what? If the flame is not fanned or fueled, it diminishes. So I've got to keep getting around people and heaping the fuel on there, right? So for me, that's how I do it. Last one is this. I, I make a conscious effort to fan the flame of those around me in their faith. So my goal is that when I am around you, that you don't walk away going, man, Jim Ramos is cool. My goal is when you're around me, you walk away going, man, Jesus was cooler. He's cooler now than he was like an hour ago. Jesus is cooler. So fanning the flame. So, you know, those things for me personally really help me to keep my heart protected. So we need to realize that when our hearts sway, our core moves away from who it is. That makes sense? So if our heart sways, our core sways. We become unprotected. You know? And so when I, when I decide to go all in for Jesus, I, and I walk upright on display for the world to see, guess what Satan does? He puts a target on my chest. He puts a target on my core. He targets me. It's easy to slouch over and hide in shame, but when you decide to put yourself on display for Jesus, he puts a target on your chest. And that's really scary, or it's really invigorating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Going all in for Jesus is the greatest thing I ever did in my life. So the next passage here, and we're going to end with, we're going to have question three. We're almost out of here. It says that the peace of God will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. So question number three is this. Are you constantly protecting your mind from the lies of this world? And are you waking up every morning and living every day of your life with Jesus, this is important, is Jesus the preeminent thought in your head all day long? That's what it means to love him with all your mind, that he is the preeminent thought flowing through your brain. Even, I don't know you guys, when I sin, I, I go, damn it, I screwed up, Jesus. I mean, I, I just instantly think of Jesus. I'm like, gosh, what, what am I doing, Jesus? He's always on my mind. So keeping him in your mind and then, and, then, and then guarding your mind from those things that flow through your mind that want to escape into your heart because your soul is what separates you from all other things and your mind, from a functional aspect, I'm kind of going deep here a little bit, is, is your mind is the functional aspect of your soul. Your soul, or the imago day that God has given us, is our ability to determine our destiny, but it's our mind that does the choosing. Our mind is the gatekeeper of the soul. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is such a great verse. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive. And of course, Romans 12.2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll know the will of God. It's good and pleasing and perfect will. So in 1644, the great, at, in 1644, it was the end of the Ming Dynasty, and at that time, the Great Wall of China was 5,500 miles long. The Great Wall of China started getting built around 250 AD or something. I don't know if some of you historians would know better. 
But in 1654, it actually grew to like 15,000 miles, but in 1654, it was 5,500 miles long. To this day, you can see it from outer space. It is that big. It is 30 feet high. It is 18 feet wide. And the Chinese built it to keep out foreign invaders. But 1644 is important because in 1644, China was invaded. They got through the wall, invaded China. Do you know how they did it? They bribed the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper was a general who wasn't paid enough, and his family was starving, he took a bribe and let him in. And that's exactly what our world wants to do with our minds. He wants to bribe the gatekeeper. Just one more video game. Just one more website. Just one more scroll on the Facebook. Just one more Newsmax. Just one more. Just one more. Just one more. He wants to get in you and slowly start shaping that brain into something that's not how the mirror maker created it. And we have to be vigilant about that because when he gets your brain, he gets you because the next thing he gets down to is your heart. And if he can go through your brain, your mind, and get into your heart, sway your heart, you question your faith, you begin to fade, you get on the fence, and you begin to question the mirror maker and you lose your peace. And guys, I've seen it all the time, and it's the story that I've seen for all my life. And that's why Paul wrote, or whoever wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, I don't know, 34, do not forsake the gathering together of the brothers and sisters as some are in the habit of doing. Paul recognizes slow fate. So when I was a freshman in high school, my line coach, I was a lineman my freshman year, was Dan Devine. Dan Devine was a big lineman guy, and he was our line coach. He was super hardcore. He's like 20 years old, and he was like super intense. I remember before one freshman game, he made the entire team, you're not going, on that, that's, you're not going out there until you stare in the mirror. He made every one of us line up behind the next guy and walk up in the mirror and for five seconds just stare at the man in the mirror. It was the, I've, it was the most, I was 14 years old. That's over 40 years ago. I still remember how awkward that was, staring at the man in the mirror and asking him this question, are you ready to play some ball? And I'm like, 14. I mean, my, I mean, you know. And I thought, man, that was really interesting. And so when we look in the mirror, realize that even though we look at ourselves in the mirror, we're not seeing the whole picture. It's important that you know that. We're seeing only partial, the partial picture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put childish ways behind me. Now listen to what the verse says after that, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully, just as we are fully known. How awesome is that? So it comes down to this, surrendering our lives to the mirror maker. Question four tonight in your survey is, what childish ways will you leave behind in the next eight months, we're starting off our first series, our first message tonight. We're going to go till the end of May. What childish ways do you need to put behind in the next eight months? So when you get out of here in eight months and we have our 20 tri-tip barbecue, that's better than the rib barbecue that we had last week. When we have that barbecue and you reflect on the last eight months, what are you going to say about your life now, then, that's different than now?
And I really want you to think about that. What kind of man do you want to be? What kind of man does your wife want you to be? What kind of man does your kids need? What kind of man does your dog think you are? (laughs) Right? That's the man I want to be. Are you at peace with your relationship with God? What is your, is your temperature and your heat for God increasing or decreasing? Are you constantly protecting your mind from the lies the world wants to put in to lower your passion for Jesus? And last question is, what childish ways will you put behind you when you leave in eight months from now? God bless you, and until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man.